Oh, another tiring week here in Kai July. I'll, I'll be I'll be glad when my life stops representing these monsters. Because this week, um, a good chunk of our of our guests got um kidnapped by a fishy sort of monster, and I had to hunt the sewers with with sharp sharp five star reviews, um, which I could have done with more of, you know, not to run out of that that delightful ammo, and uh, yeah, that's what happened. But uh, you know. We got there in the end because I had some additional ammo that came from. Well, I'm sure you know where that came from. Like I would assume it came from our Facebook group. Absolutely, of course it did. It came from our delightful Facebook group and our lovely, inst- a lovely Instagram followers. Um, yeah. So this week we're doing that. Doing the host. I keep the, the host. The host. Um. So yeah, that's that. That's why that's why that intro. Anyway, let's get into it. Welcome to Creative Psychopaths, a horror movie podcast and the world's premier kitchen for horror sandwiches. What are horror sandwiches, I hear you ask, at my delightful Riverside kiosk? Well, it's a lovely uh, movie filling surrounded by two slices of lovely chatty goodness. My name's Mark, and as always, I'm joined by Matthew. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Mark. How are you this week? You know what? I'm not too shabby. No, that's that's... A pretty good review, isn't it? It's quite a British review, I suppose. Um, yeah, it's dr- that in between of an and a new that spooky and creative psychopath of a how are you doing? Yeah, yeah, enjoying these lovely July showers. Yeah, it is, it is not summer here, is it? No, no, we're having lovely autumn days in July, but um, I don't expect much. Uh, I never expect much summer, it normally is a couple of days, and you go, well. And everyone says sarcastically, well, enjoy it while it lasts. But actually, you do need to enjoy it while it lasts. Cause... And we don't enjoy it anyway. We just moan about how hot it is. And then the rains I, I, come. I like to think I'm not too bad with the, the morning for the heat. I don't I don't mind the heat. A little bit. I mean, a night night when you're trying to get to sleep, it's a bit of a pain. But the rest of the time, I can I can deal with it reasonably well although of course you know that's normal heat and not the world's on fire global warming heat which uh i mean it's been said before but there is something really brutal about the fact that you know british weather is just going to get even shitter with climate change i mean like everywhere's getting shitter but we're getting like real just bum shitter weather you know it's it's getting so much rain and warmer winters it's like we don't we're just like losing seasons Mm, it's just one long rain but i'm pretty sure people would take that over you know wildfires and other climate catastrophes and 
you know, it's probably about time people should do something about it, isn't it? Yeah, but what can they do? Can they um, use more aluminum? I don't know. I was thinking about Blue Peter then. CFCs and aluminium cans, that's all I can remember. Um, now, don't drive your car, I think, or make, get an electric one. Well, I'm not going to get too political, but... But electricity I will say to the point as well. But I'm just going to say that it's it's not individuals that are the problem. Our habits don't really influence anything at all. It's all the cows and their methane. Let's take let's take the companies down, please. Yeah, but also I'll, people should like try it. to eat less meat. Yeah, mm. yeah. I don't eat a lot of meat anyway, so maybe no, I'm, uh, maybe I'm all right. Know, people. Don't need to cut it out entirely. It's, you know, we're not on a hobby horse. It's a hobby horse, high horse. but <laughs> Or a hobby the, horse. The studies are showing that, so said something like if everyone in the country ate less meat, it'd be like taking 8 million cars off the road or something. So, Wow. Yeah. Yeah, but if there was more cows about, wouldn't the, the pets create more methane? Fucking cows. It's always their fault. I they they say they've got a blank expression, but secretly they're they're here to destroy the world, probably. So yeah. I believe all... we said this was gonna be a brief one before the, we started recording. Yeah, well it is gonna be a brief one because that <laughs> we've got that, the global warming straight away. That is the preamble though. You know, I think we've said what we needed to say. Um Global uh, Warming. Here's me thinking we were gonna be talking Barbenheimer. <laughs> Uh, no, I've ni- I've seen neither. Um, so, but uh, uh, well, I've seen neither, so I've no I've no opinion on it either way. I've seen both, so I've I've got us I've got us covered. You've done the Barbenheimer. I've, I've I did Barbenheimer. I did it on two days. Uh, I saw Barbie on Friday and Oppenheimer on Saturday. Well, uh, that's you know because I have a job and uh, <laughs> I don't have time to do both on the opening day. Well, then quickly give it the three tier review system. Both no, of them creative psychopaths. Both of them creative psychopaths. Oh, well, there you yeah. go, everyone. Go see Barbie. Go see Oppenheimer. If you've got time, go see other stuff. Support your local cinemas, you bastards. Yeah. Um, uh, and also, it's probably worth mentioning. I mean, listeners will already know by now, but we're recording this on a Sunday night. Uh, and when we spoke last week about re- uh, the mystery film, uh, yeah, that's tomorrow as we're recording. So you'll already know what it is before this episode comes out. <laughs> Time has, has messed us about with this, but we'll we'll, yeah, we'll get a review up there uh, so that we all know what that mystery film is going to be. Stupid um, time. Yeah. Right. Well, we've... we've I think that's uh, housekeeping sorted, isn't it? Yeah, I think we've done all right there in terms of uh, preamble. Global warming bad. Cows are fuckers. Um, support your local cinema, Barbie and Oppenheimer. Good, yeah, yeah, excellent. Well done. We've 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 set our stall out this week. I'm not sure if you agreed with cows being fuckers, but um, or sorry, heifers. <laughs> uh, sorry, I I I like cows. Cows are nice. Hmm. Well, we'll see. Remember what uh, Quinn said about sharks? Not them black eyes. They got dolls eyes. Uh. Well, while we're on that subject then, Mark, as you've segued quite nicely for me. Yeah, but I know. I'm a good lad. We are going to talk 
about we're going to do a similar question to what we've been doing on the questions for guests and we have best antagonist and best protagonist already mm. so we're going to have a look for our first slice of bread at the best supporting characters uh, yes which is it's super vague isn't it I'm taking it basically anyone who's not the lead character or the main villain yes and yeah, and as you could probably guess by saying that you segued into that one, I'm going to jump in before you say it because I know you're going to want to say it. I'm saying Quint from Jaws. Well, you'd be surprised to find that I don't even have it written down. <laughs> but I mean, you gotta love Quint, aren't you? I mean, the guy's—he's. I mean, it's one of those ones that he's. He's such a major character within the film that you could probably argue that he's one of the three leads in it. Mm. But that's but, probably why he didn't reach my thing, because I, I consider him as being one of the three leads. But it yeah. does, does really sort of come in later on. I mean, Brody's, to be fair, the main character in the film. That's um, how what I had. I, I had Brody yeah. and, and the shark as, as the two main characters for that. But, you know, Quint, he just comes in as this mysterious, haggard, you know, guy who has a dark side, knows this this beast and feel like he's tussled with this beast before. And, you know, he's, he, he comes with all this darkness around him, but also, you know, carries himself in this jovial spirit at times. You know, he, singing a song, isn't he? And he's laughing and joking over a few beers. Well, yeah. He, turns on a dime at the same time, doesn't he? Yeah, he's he's almost the comedy element in the film, but then he, he also follows it along with being, you know, well, like... Yeah, he's, he's, he's the variety of the film, isn't it? He's, yeah. you know, he, he's the... the the most jovial character and also the, the darkest character at the same time. Everyone exists in between Quint's extremes. Yeah. Probably the most quotable as well. Oh uh, yeah, certainly in that, in that film. Well, apart from the, uh, the one from Brody that everyone gets wrong. Oh yeah, that one. That, that one. Anyway, we one got- day when we get to an episode 100 and we cover Jaws, I'm sure we'll unpack all this stuff. Um, yeah, we'll we'll talk Quint at length, I'm sure. Yes, we absolutely will. We absolutely will. I thought I like don't want to get into it because I know if I start, I won't stop. <laughs> well, take us in a different direction. Then what's what are you saying for yours? Well, actually, I wrote a few down. If that's all right, um, I, I've got a couple else uh, to go okay, as well. That's, so that's by fine. all means. Um. So for me, the obvious one, and so I'll go for my first obvious one was. Anthony Hopkins as um, Hannibal Lecter in probably, well, in either Silence of the Lambs or Red Dragon. Pick whichever one you like, really. I prefer him in, in Red Dragon because I like his um, his rapport with Will, uh, Will Graham. Because um, there's a little bit more animosity between the two characters, Um which I really quite like. And you get some sort of cutbacks to Hannibal Lecter on his own doing doing fun things. So 
Yeah, I, I mean, did he win an Oscar for that? Well, he won uh, Best Actor in a Leading Role for Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs. Oh, did he? It's yeah. definitely a supporting role, though, isn't it? Surely. I mean, in terms of the story, it it kind of isn't. It isn't, isn't it? It's a weird one. Uh, the way that that the film's structured. Uh, I think it still holds true that he won the actor with the least amount of screen time <laughs> of any right. lead actor winner. And yeah, it does. Well, I mean, when we did best protagonist and antagonist, I said Hannibal Lecter. Uh, sure. But because of my my stupid way of thinking that antagonist was like one rung down from main villain. Uh, yeah, but he's he's not he's not the main villain in it, is he? You know, Buffalo Bill is. He's not the main villain in Red Dragon either. Um, no, so it, it, he, he occupies not... this weird space, doesn't he? Yeah, I think he's not even the main villain in Hannibal. Uh, I can't remember Hannibal, but I think the main villain in Hannibal is some guy that he ate the face of. Um, uh, don't remember. To me, though, was... I don't think I've actually seen Hannibal or Red Dragon. Come to think of it, oh, Red Dragon's a, a delight. Um, yes, I'd recommend that. Um, oh, okay. Well, yeah. well, have you got another one for us then? So I'm gonna I'm gonna go for the, the other extremes with this one. So you know we've got sort of our sort of B-list characters, you know, the, the guys immediately below the support, uh, the leads. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to go for someone, you know, closer to Q and S for it. And I'm going to go for From Dust Till Dawn. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm going to go for the great Tom Savini in his role as Sex Machine. Yeah, he's very uh, good at that. it's... A role that is just, it's doesn't have anything to move the plot forward. It's just, just exists to be just fun. You know, it's Tom Savini, so it's always a great start there because we love Tom Savini. And he he's called Sex Machine and nobody <laughs> questions that he's called Sex Machine. He just is. Uh, he's got a penis gun. And then spends a bit later in the film just going mad with a whip. Like it, it there's talking in a lot of industries about maximizing your minutes. And I can't think of anyone who's done more in less time than he than Tom Serini does in that film. Yeah, yeah. I th- I mean You're right. As as uh, as Supporting characters go. He's. I wonder if he's nearly the most memorable one in that film. Um, I mean, you take him out of the film, the film doesn't change at all, does it? No, but he's he's the but, one that you remember. You know, like if someone says, oh, "Remember a character from that," or "Remember a character's name from that." You you, the sex machines. What you're going to go with? It's the um, sort of thing that just yeah. Elevates a film just by giving that sprinkle of just something fun and and just exist just to do nothing but bring a smile to your face and just have a bit of a laugh with things. Yeah, it's um, 
Yeah, that's a real good shout, that one. Um, well, my next one was the one I was expecting you to come up with, which was, um, correct me if I get this wrong, but Scatman Crothers as um, Halloran, uh, Dick Halloran. Um, yeah. Shining. And uh, man, does he stand out in that film. Um, you don't you don't meet him for very long, um, but in the in the beginnings when he's, you know, sort of talking to what's the name of the kid? Oh, because uh, Danny Doc was in my head because he calls him Doc, um, because he's sort of he's got a bit of shine about him, and I really I really like that character, and he feels. To me, he feels ripped from the book as well. Very similar in the book as he is. You know, not quite as mentory, but um, yeah, I really like him in that role. It's a shame he gets an axe to the back. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? He's, he's mostly remembered for that death, isn't Yeah. And I like I... the bit at the beginning. I, I, I like him going through the kitchen and all that stuff. I, I've always found that one of my favourite bits of the film. I, I think he's because he's so delightfully likeable and and that's why i think so many people are are so upset by his death mm. because he's he's so lovely in that you know that opening scene and you know when we first get to meet him and you know you, you can you can already feel by that point in the film that there's there's something sinister afoot uh yeah. but he just exudes this sort of uh island of sweetness within it you know and, and i think that the death as well you know we talk about you know just said about how we love the character so that we're upset when he gets the axe to it but also it's just an unfortunate way to ramp ratchet up our feelings in that that final act isn't it because you know he's he's the savior he's the one that's going to come and sort it out and when he doesn't, and he just gets bumped off immediately, like the way that the audience gets put on edge is, you know, it, it's really effective. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah, no, that's one of my uh, one of my favourites. Um, have you got another one? Or... Uh, yeah, I've got another one I like, and it's another one that comes up in a different question of ours. And I'm going to say Jack from an American Wealth in London. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the way that he yeah. just keeps decaying further and further, and you know, he just comes on with these sort of stoic takes and advice, and and he's he's just an exposition character for the whole thing, isn't he? You know, just telling the the audience and the characters what's what. But the way that he just comes in and delivers it and just looks so awful, like, and progressively worse. Like, yeah. He's always fun to see, isn't it? It's fantastic, actually, yeah. Because he manages to do all those things and yet still be the funniest character in the film. It's, it's. I mean, it's not technically a comedy anyway, but uh, he still manages to be hilarious and disgusting. And, yeah, no, that's really great. Um, I mean, he's good at the beginning, even before he gets chewed up, but... Yeah, later on when he shows up, it's it's all good fun. That's a really good shout, that one. Yeah, good stuff. Um, the last one that I've got is um, 
and I, I don't really have a lot to say about it, but all, all I remember is it really stands out. And I think, I think it was Misha Barton in uh, Sixth Sense, and she plays Kyra. I think the name of the ca- character is the one who's being poisoned, or had been poisoned, in fact. Um, and I know she's not really she's not really in it much, um, but she stands out in that film as being the ghost that you really like really remember. And then of course you get to go on this sort of adventure with the kid and then, you know, really feel for her as a character, despite the fact that she's barely in it. It's really good. Um, I don't probably doesn't stand out as an amazing performance, but um, it's a great part of the movie and uh, she does such, she does a good job in there. Um, Yeah. You know, it's actually been so long since I've seen the sixth sense. I've, I don't really remember uh, the character. I think the only sort of ghost that I vividly remember in it is the the one in the school. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you know, I, yeah, I need to I need to watch that again. Yeah, I remember I... when the uh, I watched Unbreakable and Glass and your know, Split when when sort of all those came out, but I've not really revisited any Shyamalan in in a long time. So I think mm. six cents is one that I should go back to. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Um, I do actually have one last one. And the only reason I've written it down is because I just, I, I couldn't remember it enough, but I thought you'd remember. And in, in get out, the guy's got a mate. who's pretty good fun. Oh uh, <laughs> yes. It, it was on my like shortlist a, as well. Like a security guard, but I, I really need to rewatch that film. I must admit, uh, a lot of it escapes me now. But, yeah, uh, I think we need to uh, we need to sort out an episode on it, don't we? I think. Yes, for sure, uh, for sure. But the uh, the character is Rod. He, he's uh, the is a security guard, isn't he? Not a, a policeman. I think so. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he talks through the whole thing, isn't he? He knows exactly what <laughs> the, the score is. Uh, well, not exactly what the score is, but the general gist of the danger. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and there's also that that fan theory as well that it's all taking place in his head, which is, I mean, it, it kind of works, and it's <laughs> it's definitely interesting. So I'm definitely yeah, have to he's give another that a another great shout. Yeah, I'll definitely have to give that a rewatch. Um. We might need right. to get an episode on it, shouldn't we? <laughs> we should do. We absolutely should do. Um, so, before we get into this week's uh, filling, let's just talk quickly about the old Patreon. Um, that We do have one now, and uh, there's a few tiers on there. Um, mostly it's going to be just bonus episodes of us talking about films that are not horror movies, or potentially... TV shows that we want to introduce each other to other two stuff like that. And if you sign up to the $5 tier, I will do your own piece of air quotes artwork, um, which I'm quite at, which I'll be quite happy to send to you. Uh, well, otherwise what's the point? Um, so yeah, that's there. If you fancy it. So let's get into the last, uh, the last Kai July. So we're talking about the host from, well, I've written 2006 down. Um, but I think it might have been 2008 elsewhere. Um, 
But anyway, 2006. All uh, right, I got that wrong. I thought I just got 2008 from somewhere else. Who's to say, eh? Um, I mean, what's so, uh, what's IMDb say? We'll, we'll take the. We're going for 2006. We'll stick with 2006. 2006 there. That's what yeah. we're having. Yeah, which is a South Korean monster movie directed by Bong Joon Ho, um, and starring Song Kang Ho as Park Gang Do, Byun Hee Bong as Park Hee Bong, Bay Donna Park, no Bay Donna, sorry, as Park Nam Ju. Park A. Il as Park A. Il. Um, Go Ah Sung as Park Hyun Seo. And Lee Dong Ho as Si Jo. And um, we did say we were talking about um, skipping out the box office things, but I actually thought this one was made for about 11 million US dollars. Um and box office around eighty nine point four, so actually it's a pretty successful film. Um, and it was, that took me by surprise. Actually, I didn't realize that it made as much as, as much as that. Um, but yeah, that's not bad, is it? It's pretty good. I think I, I may be wrong on this. Uh, I know he did have a few films under his belt before this came out, but I think this may have been the one where Bong Joon Ho really broke. Uh, you know, broke into America uh, as a filmmaker. It's one that sort of captured the more international appeal for him rather than, uh, you know, the sort of the cinephile brigade, you know, who would have known him beforehand. I think he, he got a bit more mainstream attention. And after this, he, he went on to do sort of proper, uh, you know, I don't want to say blockbusters, but you know, mainstream pictures with Snowpiercer and Parasite, and you know, he got he got his Oscars, and he fully deserved them because the man's brilliant. Yes, agreed. Um, so the the story of this: an unidentified monster appears from the Han River in Seoul, kills hundreds, and also carries off Hyunseo. When her family learns that she's being held captive, they resolve to save her. That's pretty much this film, isn't it? It is, more or less. Huh. So I think the first place we should probably start with it is that it, it it's not really a kaiju movie, is it? <laughs> it's the, not. The scale is much lower than that. Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, but it's, it's a podcast. monster movie, isn't it? Preacher feature rather than... Uh, your big lizard suit smashing cities up. Yeah, well, it's sort of a giant version of a of a regular animal, so we'll 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 call it whatever we want. And I think kaiju pretty much does um, translate to big monster anyway. So, and it, well, it fits in with the spirit of what we're doing, if not the uh, the full technical aspects, doesn't it? Yeah, so I think we're counting it. <laughs> yeah, I'm counting it anyway because I think. Kaiju's just hit this sort of idea that it's giant mon- monsters on the side of buildings, but actually, I think it fits a much broader scale than that. Um, so yeah, it, I think it, the other thing as well with it is that it serves as you know subtext for something else, doesn't it? You know, like we said Godzilla with the atomic bomb and uh, Cloverfield with nine eleven. I mean, this is 
for you know the creation of the monster it is purely environmental isn't it it's absolutely yeah uh, your know, climate movie a pollution movie don't pour formaldehyde into rivers because it's bad it does bad things to fish um it it makes bad fish things happen so um Mikey. I just went, um, I don't know why. Yeah, so, well, I was going to start start there, but, I mean, basically that's what happens, isn't it? They, um, one doctor who is, you know, one moustache away from twirling it is like, pour the formaldehyde into the water. And and this other doctor's going, well, no. And he says, well, you must do as I say. And he goes, all right, fine. Yeah, um, I mean... Makes it very clear that it's against the law, and then, yeah. oh, just do it. All right, okay, <laughs> just do it. Oh, compelling argument. Yes, fine, no problem. And um, he 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 does it. But um, this movie is, I think, unlike a lot of monster movies, this movie is driven by its characters, isn't it? It's not driven so much by the monster because while you see it and while it's in it a lot, it doesn't have a lot of personality like uh, a Godzilla or a or a King Kong or even to a degree the Cloverfield. It sort of seems to serve to move along. <laughs> like it's not even a family drama because it is exactly what it is. They 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 go they go to find um they're normally called they call him gang do most of the way through don't they because oh well obviously that's his name yeah um, i mean the the monster's a, a strange one for me because i think it has it seems to have more agency than uh certainly that early godzilla uh and definitely the cloverfield monster right in that there there seems to be an element of of decision making and and strategy coming from it, you know it it hides away in the shadows more, doesn't it? And and picks its moment to strike, and it doesn't just blindly destroy. You know it it takes some of these people away, doesn't it? And hides them in the sewer. So it's hard to sort of pin down really what what that monster is doing because yeah. it's like. You know, it's not this pure agent of chaos that we sometimes see, but at the same time, it's not, uh, you know, a fully thinking, feeling villain like we, are, you know, we also get. Yeah, uh, it's very. Um, yeah, I must admit, I'm not a big fan of the monster overall in this. I'm not a, not a big fan of the design. I like it the way it moves. The way it moves is is really good. Um, I think the the look of it is definitely dated. Yeah, yeah. Well, I you mean, know, the, the... go on. Yeah, the, the textures and and whatnot on the on the CGI, which is something I don't normally notice, but I, I did for this. Mm. Uh, which it that that has that has aged, you know. I don't want to say badly, but it, it's just aged the way you'd expect it to. Mm. While. One thing that they did get absolutely perfect, though, is just the way that 
the physics of it and just the way that it interacts with with what is real you know you you can see it like when it was grinding its feet into the the, the floor and you can see the sort of the ground start to bunch up underneath it and when you know it brushed uh uh, brushes a character's hair at one point and I think that when you see it do things like that it really does you know paper over some of those cracks that you get when you see that it does look a bit uh, you know, a bit too smooth and a bit rubbery uh, <laughs> you know in the, the CGI yeah yeah I agree the CGI is a bit ropey but it's not always the case in some cases it looks absolutely fine um, but well, like I say, I'm not a big fan of the design of the monster, really. Um, but as I said, as I said leading into this, the, the movie's very not really based around the monster. You probably don't see it that much, and it doesn't feel like it's the um, almost like the crux of the movie, really. Uh, even even the sort of military or whatever don't seem to be interested in the monster. They're, they're interested in, feels like they're interested in creating chaos. Um, yeah. So there's, I mean, that really kind of gets onto the, the main villain of the piece, isn't it? Which is, which is the USA. You know, they, they've, the, the talk of, of this, film which i thought was made it quite interesting as a monster film it was a talk of this virus didn't it yeah and for a lot of the film we think you know is is there this monster going to multiply you know is it spreading i mean we kind of got that in cloverfield didn't we as well when it was dropping those bits off right yeah uh, but you think like is it infecting people is it you know is this a twist on on the monster movie which we've we've not really gotten before and then it turns out that no, that there is no virus. It's, you know, this is this is just a bog standard monster. It's just it's an animal. That's it. And instead, it's being used as a test for this Agent Yellow. Which I mean, it's it's pretty on the nose what they're talking about there uh, when it comes to the chemical weaponry. Yeah, and you kind of think that. This is, you know, this this is the villainy here. You know, is that uh, malevolent forces of at, at government level are are using this as an opportunity to test chemical weapons, and right. it just goes right the way back to that environmental message at the start of the film, doesn't it? Yeah, very much so. It's it, that's the sort of. Uh... That's the sort of me- well, the message slaps you in the face. I think, like you said, it's not it's not backwards about going forwards when it when it it says that. Yeah, um, and, and when we talk about the you know these monster movies coming as a result of you know where they're made and wearing the 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 I don't want to say influences. It sounds like the wrong word, but you know the driving force behind what. Uh, what's created the characters you know this again feels like a film that could only have come out of South Korea is a a, a bit different they have a very complicated relationship with America historically mm-hmm. and most of the stuff that the film's getting at is 
uh, you know, more Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos area. But, you know, sort of the general, uh, you know, 1950s to 1970s America foreign policy in Asia, you know, that's feels where a lot of this stuff has come out of, uh, which I would assume would have been around sort of the, the tail end of that would have been around when Bong Joon-ho was a kid. So, you know, I think it would have seeped into his consciousness quite easily there. Yeah. 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 Um, and I've got to stop saying no I'm all the time. <laughs> I can't help it. Just can't help it. Uh, I've done it again. Um, oh, no, I'm just going to be stuck in a circle of erms. Uh, did it again, fuck's sake. Just keep sticking in. I like it. Uh, I will say that going back to what I said, though, it feels like this movie is mostly about the Park family. You know, you've got, we're introduced almost straight away to Gang Du and his father, T-Bong, and they sort of run a, it's like a food stall in it. Um, yeah, like a, a uh, like a snack booth. Like a, that's, that's almost exactly what it is, a snack booth. Um, but it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long for this monster to kick in, really. It's probably about, I think it's something like seven minutes, something like that, before you you get a bit of monster action. And, um, you know, it all, it all sort of kicks off and uh, the monster basically kidnaps um, Hyun Su, who is Gang Du's daughter. But he's sort of um he's sort of led to believe that he's a bit of a deadbeat, really. Certainly yeah, he's a proper schlubby guy, isn't he? Yeah, certainly in the beginning. Um but I think a lot of sort of what's interesting is the sort of uh, growth of that family. You've got this daughter who is um sorry, the sister uh, I should say really is uh, this sort of Olympic level athlete and I'm not sure what Hay Hill is. He's a former protester or something. I never quite got around to what he was doing. Um, yeah, he, he struck me as a guy who felt similar to. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I've completely forgotten the fucking main character. Let me <laughs> get that back up. Yeah, he feels to me uh, very similar to Gangdu in that he. Like they're saying that he's a college educated uh man with no job. You know, so it kind of feels like he's got this he's in the same position as his brother, but has a superiority a, you know, an unearned superiority about it. Right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, just sure. by virtue of him being, you know, university educated. Yeah. And uh what I think is interesting, or thought was interesting about this is they they managed to give everybody a little arc for their own. Um, you know, you don't always get that. Sometimes you've got this sort of main character and then everyone else is sort of doing bits to keep that person's story moving along. Whereas each person, it feels like, has got this um, this little bit of an arc, arc for themselves. Obviously, you know... Gang do as as sort of 
well, like you say, as schlubby as he is when it comes to his daughter, there's he, there's no stopping him. He's just driving forward all the time with that, and it it they sort of um, they lead you to believe. I think that there's something to do with the virus, but ultimately, I think it's more that he's just got this parental drive to not give up on his daughter who's been kidnapped. Yeah, I think that it's it's a genuinely moving relationship that the two of those have, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's um, yeah, it's just it's just a great people movie. I I I thought um, it's got some really sad moments. Um, it's got some sad moments punctuated by funny moments, which I think, which I thought was was, was good. Um, especially, the, there's a bit in this where the father's talking to the the other two about how you know, sort of why Gangdu is the way he is, um, and it's quite a heartfelt speech. But the other two are so knackered they just fall asleep. Uh, yeah, and even then, you know, in the, the speech that he he gives. Uh, you know, saying about how he was he was a bad father, he didn't have a mother, and so he had he grew up having to look after himself. And then, you know, in in all of this speech, which he, you know, it really pulls on the heartstrings, he starts mm. talking about how he he can tell by his farts what sort of <laughs> mood he's going to be in in a day and stuff. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> certainly a choice there, isn't it? Yeah, but it just work. It just work. It gives you a family dynamic between the two of them. You know, like. And, it, it, and I mean, it you know, explains that's how people a lot. talk. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it explains a lot from the beginning of the film because you do sort of think, why does he keep him around since he's such a lazy little, you know? But here he is. Yeah. He sort of yeah. blames himself as a father for for this guy being this way anyway, which partially is, I think, possibly true. Um, you know, and you've got the the other two have got their own have got their own problems, you know, but. I don't want to go into everybody's story arc because I'll be here for ages. Uh, but yeah, it's just it's just got it's just got a, a, a lot of heart. Um, as I say, there's some good comedy, other comedy moments, especially uh, there's some there's some decent slips in it, which which always work in serious moments. Especially there's a like a. One of the guys in the hazmat suits, and he's walking along, looking all serious, and just fucking yes. flips over. And it, it, it's it, it's really good because it sort of adds to uh, a situation. And um, there's another bit. I'm just talking randomly about different scenes now, but you know, for example, we talked Clo- about Cloverfield, where this sort of um, we were like the picture of grief in this isn't quite what it should be. Whereas when the four family members realize when they're stood in front of the picture of their daughter thinking that she's dead and not just missing, you know, it's even though it's sort of played a bit over the top, it's really, really like, you know, you feel bad for that whole family because they're grieving, just genuine grieving. And, um, you know, so I think where you do. When you liken it to Cloverfield, it's something that I thought very similar myself because you know I spoke saying that I didn't really buy the relationships between the characters and you know it 
meant that I didn't really get on board with the film as a whole. And, you know, this does the complete opposite of that, doesn't it? Like, if you could... If you put these characters and, and this this bunch of people and just put them into Cloverfield, I think you, that film becomes a five-star classic just out the bat. Mm. Because it's, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because you know, it has that... It has that emotional that emotional core to it that's that's so lovely. Um but, uh what do you what do you make of the, the ending as a result though? Because it's a, a bold choice that you know throughout all this film we we kind of you know we don't really expect the whole family unit to make it through in a film like this, do we? But when they, they did kill off the daughter, uh, did you? How did you feel about that? Because I, I didn't like it, obviously, because I, you know, I like the character. But in terms of the story, I thought it was, it was a bold but very strong choice to have her sacrifice for for this other kid be honoured by her dad, uh, who you know, gave the kid what he didn't have. Yeah, I think um, you summed it all up there. My feelings of that, that's exactly sort of how I was feeling going into it. Seen this before, and it was, I was sure, I, I didn't remember her dying, so that it took me by surprise, I must admit. Um I don't remember much about seeing it before, actually. I know I have seen it. Um, so a lot of a lot of this took me by surprise, but yeah, it was um, it's it's a heart wrenching ending because you are rooting for her all the way through. You know, she's stuck, she's alive in this monster cave. You, the monster keeps bringing people, but they're not alive, and eventually someone does come who's made it through, and she looks after this little boy all the all, all the way, and like you say. Her sacrifice means that he got to live. It just, you know, the whole thing just works. It's very sad and very, I almost don't want to say uplifting, but a little bit. Uplifting. It gives you that that spark of of humanity and, you know, some hope, yeah. doesn't it, as well? It ends nicely. It ends nicely enough that um, you get the feeling that to a degree... Gangdu's trying to sort himself out a bit and you know he's obviously taken this boy on and he's as his son and it just works it just works really nicely it's a nice it's a nice ending given um the tragedy the of it of, the tragedy of it yeah it's it, it's really well done it's really well done a lot of these Korean films I've seen are like that are like this uh, they've got they've got heart in tragedy it, it just you know, it just works. It just works really well. Um, yeah. I mean, the only other things I've really got are bits that that I picked out that were just weird. Um, but I'm <laughs> I'm quite happy to leave them alone. No, I think I'd like to just touch on the score. Um, yeah. Okay. Again, it's not not something that we talk about a lot, but. Good heavens, it's it's beautiful, is this one? You know, yeah, the, very good. The strings in it, they 
again, they, they just play with that emotion. And I'm just going to be saying that a score does the thing that a score is designed to do, but, you know, just listen to it. It's lovely music. Uh, it, you know, it really does elevate the film. And, you know, it, it's not often that, you know, when the credits come on, uh, you know, you normally sit through them a little bit, look, you know, look at the names. Uh, but this credits, I just enjoyed just luxuriating in it, just listening to the music for it, which testament to the, to the score. It really is, really is a good one. Yeah, it is. It is. I was just looking there and um, sort of sizzle for the future of the podcast, but the person who did the score for this also did the score for Tale of Two Sisters, which is a movie that we have got coming up. Uh, which is coming up, isn't point. it? Yeah. At some point, so um, uh, yeah, so it's uh, Byung Woo Lee, uh, the composer for it. We'll have to uh, look out for that while we're watching that to see if it's. Uh, I'm sure it will be. He obviously knows what he's doing. He obviously knows what he's doing. <laughs> Repeated myself there. Do you like it? Um. Well, let's get into some of the other reviews. I don't have anything else that's really, unless you do. No, I think uh, it's a place to to wrap it up. So we're looking at 7.1 on IMDb, 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's good, isn't it? And Very good. 4.2 out of 5 on Amazon. (laughs) I always just pick the three that it tells me, because why not? And... 3.8 3.8 on Letterboxd. What would have it, uh, that's pretty good for Letterboxd, I'd say. Um, yeah, I mean, most of the results are... Uh, most of the reviews are four-star on there, aren't they? It's the highest. Yeah, there's a few threes and a few... Yeah. But, yeah. Oh, lovely. Um, I think... We've got some little Facebooks before we do our own. I think we do. Yes, we've got a few Facebook comments. Uh, I mean, Paul just kept it nice and simple and said it was a great movie. Which is true. Uh, Then we have Alistair who said that, well, he hoped it was going to be the pick for for the claws of a kaiju life. Uh, He said he was watching it after Parasite. and You can see that Boone's style and storytelling motives. Uh, It's just a good story told well with great skill. Excellent. I'm just going to see if I got anything on Instagram. Um, I did not. Uh, so, yes, I suppose we should do our own um, thing. So for those of you who are new here, or if it's your first one, we have a three-tier system, shit for shit. Ooh, it's spooky for a sort of middle-of-the-road movie. And a creative psychopath for... The best kind of movie. Um, I'm. I'm just going to go for a creative psychopath on this. I don't think I need to say anything else about it. I think. I'm going to say something else about it though, because uh, why not? <laughs> well, I'm re- I'm going back over my own points really that I've already said, but it, monster movie wise, it's not amazing. You know it. The monster for me is not great, um, but the family dynamic that drives the film is so is so good, and the characters really 
um, just stand out so well that it's just it's just good to watch. Considering it's it's not is it not quite two hours? It it moves lovely. I think it is more or less bang on two hours. Yeah, yeah. The only issue I had was the subtitles I, on it were were awful for the version I watched. They were white, and at some points, going over people with white shirts on. I had the exact same problem. I think we we may have well watched the same one. Yeah, I was like, this is really frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. a fan. No. Uh, yeah, so what did you say? So, yeah, I, I love Bong Joon-ho. I think he's just a fantastic director. He's one of the best working today, without a shadow of a doubt. And... Yeah, I mean, this is just, it's one of his films. That's all it needs <laughs> to say, really. Uh, I, I just love how he he's, he's a subversive director, uh, but in a very gentle way. Uh, you know, you, you watch a film of his, you know that you're going, you know, he's going to do something, something different, something creative, but he's never going to, He's never going to catch you on the hoof with it, is and take you by surprise and have you know you're going to have to work out you know what to make of it. it. It's just going to present it and it's going to feel just like it's just a lovely normal film that you know that you know the the tropes, you know what's happening, but we'll just give it some of these little tweaks just to subvert it and just make it you know, elevate the form, elevate the modern movie, and, you know, make it something terrific. And and he does it. It's all on display here. You know, we've said it throughout. It's a it's a monster movie where the monsters doesn't really matter all that much. It, it's a monster movie where the monster doesn't lurk in the shadows. It It's in broad daylight five minutes into the film. <laughs> you know, he just, he just does these little things that, other filmmakers wouldn't or are told shouldn't. And it's a creative psychopath. It, all his, his skill is on display here. It's it's great. Lovely. We do more creative psychopaths on here than we do anything else, I reckon. Um, yeah, we like talking about good films. Yeah, we should watch more good movies. Forget the bad ones. There's a reason they're bad. Uh, <laughs> so let's get into this final slice of bread. Um, the peek behind the curtain here is that sometimes we come up with the slices of bread a little bit late and um, I was tracking my brain all day today and eventually in the end I found a horror movie title generator Um, so what we're going to do is I'm going to generate a title for a horror movie and um well, should we both come up with a synopsis or just one of us and then generate again? Let's see how we right. go. Well, yeah, let's just play it by ear. Let's have some fun with it. Okay. Oh. All right. All right. Generate. Um. So the first one is Witch of the Void. You like that? Witch of the Void. Oh. Oof. oh, space witch. Well, I mean, there's there's going to be some sort of witch in there, isn't there? <laughs> You've given us that. Yeah. 
I suppose a, a void is that like it's like a black hole sort of thing, isn't it? So I suppose it could be a dimensional witch of some sort. Um, yeah, and, and she'd be playing some sort of havoc on a, an unsuspecting bunch. I'm going to say kids. Sounds a bit like it would be a you know a, a young adult tweener kind of movie. Uh, especially if we're writing it and, you know, that's about as basic as we can get, isn't it? <laughs> so, you know, I think, uh, yeah, I think there's there's probably some sort of witch that operates in a different world and has found a path between worlds and a plucky bunch of suburban Americans have to stop her. Yeah, it's kind of like the one from Oz. Um, she's in a different dimension, I think. I think Oz is... Mumbling now. Um, Oz was just the dream. So, oh, let's see another one. Child in the field. <laughs> I mean, that's just Children of the Corn. Next. All right, easy. That was done. Uh, <laughs> Demons on my roof. Uh, musical? I think that sounds like a horror comedy to me. Yeah, it does sound almost like a musical. Um, I like the idea of... Um, I don't know if you ever saw the Buffy musical episode, but there's a demon in that that sings. And I think more demon singing is what we need. Sort of tap dancing demons in spats. Give me that. That's what I want. Um, if I want that movie now. Demons on the roof. We don't have a hoof. Or something like that. See? It's... It writes itself. I'm just trying to think. Are there, are there any horror musicals? There are. Yeah. Um, there's a slasher, but I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head. But I'm sure I can find it. Oh, yeah. um, there's Rocky Horror, isn't there? But that's is that really a horror film? It's got horror in the name and it plays with the tropes, I guess. But Stage Fright. There's a movie called Stage Fright. Which is a horror musical. It's a it's a treat actually. It's a good movie, um, if you like that sort of thing. There's a, a Polish film called The Lure as well, which is a uh, a horror film about mermaids in a nightclub. Oh, like um, sirens of sorts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm aware of the film, but I've never actually seen it, so I think we'll, yeah. we'll, have to, we'll have to give that one a go. Okay, I like this next one. Uh, okay. I, don't, I don't know what it, I don't know what it's going to lead to. Uh, emblems at the convention. <laughs> emblems at the convention. Uh, well, are there? Have you, Have you ever seen a horror movie set at a fan convention? No. We could do okay, that. So what, what I'm thinking then is that there is some kind of, of natural disaster that cuts off a horror movie convention from the Western world. Western world? Rest of the world. <laughs> uh, so you're a Lord of the Flies type situation and everyone forms tribes based on their their horror genre of choice so you know you get a slashers group you get a uh, an elevated horror group and you get a, a sci-fi horror group and you know all, <laughs> I like several it. Uh, groups all with their own emblem of choice 
and yeah, and they, and they all try to uh, take out the other groups using the methods of that particular genre. <laughs> Uh, I'd like to see the elevated horror guys actually manage to do anything. Oh, it's psychological warfare, wouldn't it? That? Yeah. <laughs> if anything, that would be the most damaging. Uh, we've we've turned your mental health into a real thing. No, you haven't. <laughs> yeah, yeah but I guess the uh, you're sad though, aren't you? You're a bit you know, sad the, about the it. The slashers group only get plastic cutlery from the uh, the concession stand, so they can't go at each other with with proper slashes. Well, well done there. I think you've done a really good job of writing that one. Personally, I was going to have magic emblems that made horror icons come to life. But you'd really have to get some rights there. But that'd be interesting. Um, let's see. Let's do one more and then one more the day. Um, <laughs> confused by the swamp. I mean, I'd be confused by this one. Oh, actually. Okay. What if it could be like a sort of cabin in the woods situation, but the swamp's got some sort of ancient gas um, that creates horror hallucinations of sorts? Could be. So I'm going to go with something different and okay. say that uh, this story follows a person who who kills a swan. Uh, and in this country, if you kill a swan, that's big bother. You know, no, that's... it's swamp, not swan. Oh, swan! I think you said swan. Oh, I was going to have a whole story about how they were <laughs> they were being chased by the king and shit. No, confused <laughs> by the swamp. That's well, why I, I was confused by the swan. That's why I went for swamp gases. <laughs> we are confused by the swan instead. <laughs> I've got a film lined up for that one. <laughs> yeah, why not? Right, so someone kills a swan. Yeah, and the, you know, the swan's haunting them because they killed it. Hence the confusion. Uh, and also they're being chased by... You know what? Set it 20 years ago, they're being chased by the queen. Absolutely, with a handbag. I think she makes for a more compelling horror villain than the absolutely. uh, Yeah, give her a handbag full of bricks. She'd be away, I reckon. Yeah. (laughs) Oh well, there you go. I think um, that was quite a good one. That I think we might bring that back. That that slice of bread, if we're bored in the future. (laughs) Well, (laughs) we're struggling for one. Yeah, yeah, well, it'd be nice to have some returning slices. Returning slices. Um, Well, so there you go, everyone. That was it. We've done it. We've achieved your sandwich. It's a club sandwich, but instead of of chicken and lettuce under bacon or whatever the vegan alternative might be, it's just a club, a a club with a knife in it. Um, And I'm going to beat you over the head with it and then make you eat bread. Uh, I'm not really sure. But uh, anyway, that's it. The episode's done, so you can you can you can switch. You go on and listen to something else now. Well, when we say bye, bye, bye.